Like, we do live feeds. I don't think we can do a live podcast. Why not? Why would you broadcast it? Well... You can do a live call-in show where you let people know that you'll be on Skype at this time and they can call you, but you can't do a live... We couldn't sit here and read a comic live. That'd make a really boring episode, <laughs> wouldn't it? Me and you just sat here reading a comic live. No, we, we, we read And going, <laughs> the light on! <laughs> Love that one! <laughs> well, no. crap would that well, be? Well, well, what we do is, like, um, panel descriptions and we read it out in, in voices. But that would be a radio show, not a podcast. Well, we do a radio podcast. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Oh, you want to bring this one in? Or do you want me to do it? What am I doing? Just just saying hello, everybody. I'm Brian Blessed. <laughs> Gordon's alive. This briefing is from file A five six seven W. Classified top secret subject is. Hey kids, comics. Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology with digital downloads and bookstore penetration. Sounds a bit rude. We can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Hello, lovely, lovely listeners. Tonight on Hey Kids Comics, we cover the... We carry on to continue... <laughs> we carry on to continue. <laughs> Going through very well. We continue our coverage on NightQuest. Yes, we do. Is that... Is that it's okay. very good, yes. Okay. And who are you? Hey Kids Comics. <laughs> the new number one. <laughs> my name number is, six. My name is Michael Leyland and my co-host here... Oh, that's that my cue? Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm Andrew Leyland. And together we bring you the best of comics. And sometimes the worst. <laughs> no, I don't think we've covered anything truly tripe, have we? Yes. What have we covered that was truly tripe? Showcase. Showcase what? Oh, yeah, that Two-Face story for Nightfall. Yes, that, yeah. that was a bit tripe. Anything else we've covered that we've both really, really loathed? I'm I don't sure think there's anything I'm that we've really hated, is there? I'm sure there's a few things. No, no I hate it. No, we've not done anything that was of. truly, truly bad. We may do secret wars in the new year. Oh, God. Just no. so that we can do something that's truly, really, truly, truly bad. bad. <laughs> no, let's do something truly, truly, truly bad and do secret wars too. We don't have secret wars too. No. Unless we've still got it upstairs somewhere. Shame. I don't think we do have. Anyway. Anyway, yes, as Michael said, hello everybody. As Michael said tonight on Hey Kids Comics, it's starting well tonight, isn't it? Hey Kids Comics. Tonight on Hey Kids Comics, we will be continuing Night's Quest. This is episode seven? Six. It's episode six of Night's Quest. Yeah. Yes, it is. Episode six. So you've only two left if you're not enjoying this. Just <laughs> two more weeks. Keep saying it to yourself. You'll feel better. More weeks. After that, we'll, that'll probably be Christmas, won't it? Yes. Have we got? Will we have enough time to do an, an all email special no. before we do our Christmas episode? We'll have to do it after the Christmas episode. All right. Anyway, either way, we will be doing an all email special. So if you haven't emailed us and would like to have your name mentioned on the show, drop us an email. All the gubbins is at the end of the show. 
Uh, hey Kids Comics at virginmedia.com, I think is our email address. Yeah. I don't know, it's in the, the spiel at the end, which you will all have been listening to, because I've been mixing the tunes up at the end. Have you? Yes. Alright. Uh, I originally started, I took off Starsky and Hutch. Gotcha, by you're, Tom Scott. Starsky Yes, Starsky and Hutch was our end theme. You do not listen to the show, do you? What was our first end theme? The, the very, very, when we first started over a, nearly a year ago, yeah. we had the Incredible Hulk theme. We should bring your sister in when we do that, because her eyes tear up. Anya! Come here, love! Do, 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 do. <laughs> and off she goes crying. What was the second one? <laughs> and then we did. I don't remember. Didn't we do. What did we do? Did we do Danger Man next? Da, da. No, we've always had the six million dollar man as our opening. No, yeah, we changed it to Airwolf. No, we didn't. We've never done Airwolf. We've never had the theme of Airwolf on this show. Switch it up. Code name. Hey, kids, come. Oh, we used that little bit from Airwolf. But we've never had the theme from Airwolf. So then what was after that? I think we changed it to Danger Man. Did it? And then after that we went to Gotcha by Tom Scott, yeah. <laughs> that one. Right. Not not one of the other two themes. I thought that was a decent insult. It was good. If you um, could hear it. Well, say it again. I said your musical talent is almost as good as your artistic talent. My artistic talent sucks. Oh, yes. Indeed it does. So then what was after that, then? Um, at the moment, we've been mixing it up. Yeah. The first night's quest, we had the Batman 60s TV theme. Okay. And... Then we had. So it's all Batman. Yes, yes, it's all Batman related. Right, and then right. we had. Uh, you thought this through, have you? Yes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't just throw this crap together. And then we had Robin the Teen Wonder by Jan and Dean. Jan and Dean. Yes, which is which is a quite classic piece of sixties pop. Right. Really good. And then we had. Ready, Anya? Batman. 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 And Robin the Wonder. So we had that by right. Bernie Winters. Oh, I'm glad I'm missing that. And uh, then we had um, The Jam and the cover of the 60s Batman TV theme. Okay. And last week we had Iggy Pop and, okay. hit, and the Stooges cover of the 60s Batman theme because that fitted in with last week's episode where we had the three Stooges. Yes. In the issues about, I see. I, do you think? <laughs> you just think I throw this together? Oh no, 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 no! Planning, planning, <laughs> always thinking, always thinking, me. Always thinking. Always thinking. Anyway, should we get on with tonight's quality? It's a good idea. Comic books instead of just talking about themes that we have used or may use in the future. And well, we, like we don't have musical interludes anymore. Uh, no, because it just got too much for pen in the last two edits. Yeah. <laughs> I was spending four and a half hours editing this show. I was spending a week at one time. And it was, yeah, and it just got to the point where I thought, I can't be bothered. The Blackest Night ones took an awful long time, because I put blood, sweat and tears into them. They all, they all took a lot. It is the editing that's hard work. If you're starting a podcast... Um, I've said before, it was Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell's Get Off Your Lazy Ass and Make a Podcast episode that made us get off our lazy ass and make a podcast. Well, it made you, you drag me into it. I dragged Michael, you into let's it. let's do a podcast. Kicking and screaming, it had to be said. I didn't have to tie you to your chair, did I? No. You were like, okay, that sounds like a fun idea. <laughs> um, but what I would say to anyone who wants to start their own podcast, 
decide on the frequency you want to do it before you actually do it. And don't want to get a family prior to recording it. Cause, no, because that's not what we did. We said, we're going to do a weekly show with no thought whatsoever about how much work a weekly show is. I've got a decent schedule. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got, we've, we're into a groove now, yeah. now that we know what we're doing. But when it was, I was editing it and we were putting the music in and all that stuff and the, the tunes because to make our show different I thought well what can we do that's different from everything else and no one else at that point was putting music in it like that that I listened to do people do it now? I've no idea I don't think so um, but like I say it was a four and a half hour edit job yeah. and now I've got it down to about an hour and a half two hours max fair enough just by not doing that and it's like there's a part of me that misses it because it did give the show an edge yeah and, and some kind of an audio feel to it that that yeah. wasn't necessarily in other shows I listened music to. Music comic podcast. But the flip side of that is I've got two and a half hours of my life back. Yeah. Which is nice. Two and a half hours of your life which got robbed by the ballet. Yes. So, well, it's that. I don't mind that. I don't mind it getting robbed by my kids. Fair enough. Or my wife. But it was just... It was, one reason you shouldn't have a podcast, though. Yeah, four and a half hours to edit an hour show was, was too so much so if, if you live on your own and play World of Warcraft podcasting is the great oh thing. don't turn into Frank Miller <laughs> oh I read some of that didn't he, he call it Lords of Warcraft <laughs> yeah. or something some guy it's like it. you're so out of touch old man it's not Lords of Warcraft if you're going to slag people off do it properly some guy slagged um, Frank, Frank, Miller. Frank Miller by doing a Dark Knight Returns yeah I've comic. seen that yeah yeah I saw that uh, anyway, speaking of Batman, did you like that? Yeah. Oh, that segue. Yeah. How professional was that? It's very. I thought so. Uh, the issues that we're looking at this week all follow through one thread, the Abattoir case, which is a major turning point in the story. It's a major turning point that made me jump off the bandwagon. Did it? I, I'm, not, I'm not like the Abattoir stuff. It, see, it is good in the novel. Okay. Because it only is the Abattoir stuff. It's the stuff with the kids in the bus and that's pretty much it. Fair enough. And it follows so through from Veronica Mars, but... Yeah, pretty much. Uh, kicking off, Shadow of the Bat 26 came out on February 15th, 1994. God, we spent ten minutes talking about crap, though. Um, we <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, adorned with another excellent Brian Stelfreeze cover of the Batman being wrapped up in a half-snake, half-woman creature. Entitled Creatures of Clay, Diary of a Lover, it was lettered by Todd Clean, coloured by Adrian Roy, inked by Bob Smith, penciled by Brett Blevins and written by Alan Grant. Did you like how I did the credits in reverse order? Shining a light on the people that don't normally get credit. We're going one way, but whoa, you quickly turn the other way. At the orphanage, the school kids from Batman 505 are explaining to Dr. Leslie Tompkins how the Batman saved them from Abattoir and the bus crash as Gordon arrives to see if they have any more information to help him in his investigation. Alas, they don't, and whilst Tompkins thinks it would be prudent to get Batman in for a counselling session, Gordon points out that without Batman, all these kids and Graham Etchison would be dead. He asks if Graham has reconsidered going into protective custody, reminding Tompkins that Abattoir has killed 25 people, all members of his family. But Etchison remains steadfast in his commitment to the kids. Gordon leaves police protection around the building, as Batman, who has been eavesdropping, also leaves. He's better things to do than look after one person. He swings across the Gotham night, disturbing a gargoyle as he does so. The gargoyle is alive and attacks the Batman. It is, in actuality, Lady Clayface a.k.a. Chandra Fuller, who says that she doesn't want this, but has no choice, as she morphs her hands into a hammer and pounds on Batman. He blinds her with his bat 
Black's torch and takes the offensive, causing her to fall to the floor and go splat. So she hit on Batman. Uh, Meantime, Preston Payne, a.k.a. Clayface 3, is burning up, and the only thing that alleviates his pain is when he passes his contagion on to others. This is why he and Lady Clayface have come out of hiding. The pain has become too much. He kills a policeman outside the orphanage, bursts into the orphanage after Graham Etchison. He knocks him out and takes him with him. Lady Clayface isn't so easily killed, however, and attacks Batman again, turns herself into a snake, and starts crushing him to death. Everyone wants this Etchison bloke. Yeah, he seems to be a popular guy, doesn't he? Mm. Um, on page three, yes. now, I agreed with Gordon here, because um, Batman can't really be blamed for traumatising the kids. If it wasn't for him, the kids would be dead. That's true. That's why early issues, well, any issues of Spider-Man annoy me, really. It's because everyone doesn't like Spider-Man. Dear Jonah Jameson doesn't like Spider-Man. Dear Jonah Jameson turns everything, everyone against Spider-Man through his newspaper. But most New Yorkers probably think Spider-Man's alright. It's a bit creepy. Even with the new, the latest issue three of Action Comics, if you haven't got it already, pick it up now. Your local comic shop. We're not being paid for that, you know. <laughs> but even then, it's after all of his good deeds, he's now in Metropolis as well. The Peter Parkerification of Clark Kent. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. I just don't like stories like that. Alright, fair enough. Um, page 7, panel 5. Yes. Am I the only one that thinks Gene Paul wouldn't say devil? Why He'd probably not? say something like, hell, you know, the... Oh, the, what the devil is this? Yeah, is the devil! What the hell is this? Get off me! Yeah, I don't know. Um, and except for Gene Paul being Batman, yes. is this story arc the only one that ties into current continuity? What, in Shadow of the Bat? Yeah. No, they did three issues. We've covered issues of Shadow of the Bat already. They're in current continuity. No, I mean, except for Gene Paul being Batman. No, what do you mean? Well, okay, all the issues that Gene Paul is Batman and led in Shadow of the Bat. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, they've all been standalone stories. Yeah. Right. Yes. Whereas this one actually does tie into the abattoir story that's going on in Batman. Yes. Right. Pretty much, yes. Shadow of the Bat, by and large, stood on its own, and Alan Grant did his own thing. And they also did three months' worth of stories just about Bruce Wayne, which yeah. we'll be covering in two weeks' time. One week? Two weeks? No, next week we'll be covering them. Right. So that killed three months of Shadow of the Bat continuity and then the rest of it by and large yes has just been standalone stories this is the first time that it has not so much crossed over because you could read the issues of Batman I suppose without reading these and follow what's going on yeah just a little extra yeah it's just like a a little extra little DVD extra for you Um, I've mentioned Dr. Leslie Tompkins before in the Nightfall series but it bears repeating here for newcomers Leslie was (coughs) Excuse me. In pre-crisis continuity, the social worker who took care of Bruce after his parents were killed, as detailed in the excellent and rightly heralded as a classic Bat story, There Is No Hope in Crime Alley from Detective Comics 457, published in December 1975. In this original story, Batman visits her every year in Crime Alley where his parents were killed, but she doesn't know he's Batman. This was later changed post-crisis, where she's aware of Bruce's double life in the Batman Year 2 storyline from Detective Comics 5755 through 578 by Mike W. Barr, Alan Davis and Todd McFarlane. I think after Zero Hour it was again established Leslie didn't know Batman was Bruce. Okay. But I could be wrong about that, because I'm convinced that she did know in No Man's Land, but I've not read No Man's Land for a long Maybe time. Maybe she didn't know. 
post crisis but found out but subsequently found out it's possible it's hard to keep track of all this isn't it um, page 4 of this issue uh, does Batman deliberately ignore that mugging on well, page he's, 4 he's done it before it's, somebody's getting mugged in an alleyway and they see Batman and run away but it doesn't look like he's making any effort to go in and stop them no. to be honest with you it does look like he's deliberately ignoring it. Um, there are entire flashbacks in this issue that, for the sake of expediency, I omitted from the synopsis. Um, we just concentrated on the main story. But in the flashbacks, we find Clayface 3 and Lady Clayface living in harmony in a cave in the hills. They live off nature, with Lady Clayface morphing into a woman and nipping into town to steal other things as they need them. As Preston Payne, a.k.a. Clayface 3's pain, gets worse, she steals medical texts to help them learn how to cure him. But the only thing that does cure him passing the contagion on to others. After flagging down a vehicle one night pretending to be a hitchhiker, Preston passes the pain on to him by killing him, which allows Preston and Chandra to physicalise their love, which I thought was much more subtle as a scene of two people copulating the DC would do today, where they've got Batman and Catwoman shagging on a rooftop. Nightwing joining the Mile High Club. And Nightwing joining the Mile High Club, and Black Cat and Spider-Man doing it with the masks on, and and all that stuff, yeah. Um... Anyway, <coughs> this resulted, yeah. moving swiftly on, this resulted in Chandra being pregnant with baby Clayface, <laughs> which I thought was quite amusing. Um, by and large, an issue that exists mostly in flashbacks and fight scenes showing us what happened to the Clayfaces since the Mud Pack story arc in Detective Comics 604 through 607. The Clayfaces story is quite sweet, actually, with just a tinge of horror, and Grant does a good job of tying this into the overall narrative of Abattoir. This issue doesn't explain what Clayface 3's interest in Graham Etchinson is, nor why they've gone after Batman, but as this is part one of two, one assumes this will all be covered next issue. Brent Blevins is back as artist. I'm not really digging his style, to be honest with you. No. It seems a shame that Vince Girano, who when we started covering these, we just thought was a Brett Blevins knockoff actually became a, a much favoured artist. Mm. What else has he gone on to do? Or do has he not done anything? I don't know. Alright, fair enough. If you know what Vince Girano's up to, drop us a line and let us know. Shadow of the Bat 27 picked up the story and came out on March 22nd, 1994. And has another excellent Brian Stelfreeze cover of Clayface 3 strangling someone whilst Batman swoops in from the background. My only issue with the cover is, who's Clayface strangling? Abattoir. Is it? It's not Graham Etchison, because he's got long hair like Abattoir, but he doesn't look anything like Abattoir in the issue. He's got long hair. Well, well so that qualifies, doesn't it? <laughs> so have you. Is he strangling you, though? Well, no, but I jumped to the conclusion that it's strangling It is. It's person, logical so. to assume that it is Abattoir, but it doesn't look anything like the Abattoir inside the comic. Well, we remember the um, Barry Kitson... Um, Mr. Freeze issue of Batman not long ago. Yeah, where it was the abominable snowman on the cover. Um, oh, I said abominable. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you said it. I did. Well, well done, yeah. Nevertheless, it's a good little cover. Little goof notwithstanding. Called Creatures of Clay, Child's Clay, which I liked a lot. <laughs> Holy play on words, Batman. Uh, by the same creative team as about ten minutes ago. Uh, Batman hits the panic button which gives Lady Clayface the shock of her life. Quite literally, because he seems to have laced his costume with With some kind of... With panic buttons, yes. But also with some kind of electrical charge. Uh, With her passed out, Batman tranquilises her before learning that he may have just condemned her baby to death. Turns out, when Abattoir ran away from 
When Abattoir ran away from Batman, he stumbled upon the Clayface cave, found baby Clayface and took him, forcing Clayface and Lady Clayface to do his bidding. As you do. As you do, yes. His bidding being bring him the Batman and Graham Etchison. Clayface 3 fulfills his end of the deal and meets up with Abattoir and his son, and Clayface turns on Abattoir. He's just about to burn him alive when Batman shows up, having coerced the meeting place out of Lady Clayface. With Batman forced to stop Clayface, Abattoir makes his escape with Graham Etchison. Batman takes Clayface 3 down, but not before saving the lives of baby Clayface. Clayface 3 takes a face full of gas that stopped Lady Clayface. And I never thought I would say the word Clayface... That many times in one run-on sentence. Across town, Abattoir has arranged a tortuous death for Graham Etchison. Which in the next couple of issues I've grown to really like. What, that Graham Etchison died? No, no, the torture bit. The torture, just because you're sick. No, I thought it was rather imaginative. You're, you're wrong. But anyway, in, in, anyway. in her normal form, yes. do you not think Lady Clayface looks like a snake with arms and legs? Let me find her normal form. you just done it before. Oh, well... Yeah, let's, well, Clayface 3 is not exactly an oil painting, is he? He's an oil painting that looks like it got smeared before it dried. <laughs> but, you know, they're happy together. Who are we to judge this couple, apart from the fact that they're murdering scum? But other than that, other than that they're, they're nice people. I'm maybe. sure they're, they're lovely people. Now, if if the Clayface's child could choose whichever form it wanted to, right, yes. to fit him, why did it choose to be an Asian kid? Why do you think it's an Asian? It doesn't look like an Asian kid to me. It does look. What's that? Page 5, panel 4? He, mm, he looks a bit jaundiced. Well, that could just be the colouring. Or it could be the fact that he's the product of two clay faces. That's not a normal thing. One would assume. I mean, you've got the whole, how the hell did they procreate? Well, um... Other than, you know... He shot clay. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know... Oh, dear me. Oh, he gave her a clay face. Oh! Um, Batman at the bottom of page 21 looks great. Well, that, with his all red... The, all the shadows, yeah. Yeah. He looks yeah. very silent. on it. Mm. And on the last page, on the last panel on the last page, mm-hmm. Abattoir's turning into Aphex Twin. Why? Because of the massive green. Oh, is that what Aphex Twin looked like? Mm. I'll tell you what. Like a massive green, like... Ah. It just reminded me of that Black Hole Sun video. <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you. But that's... I was a 90s man. Aphex Twin was 90s. Well, they're, they're not still around, though. I think he is. So he's Aphex Twin, but he's just a man. Yeah. With a man's courage. Man's gotta, gotta do, do what a man's gotta do. Uh, the first thing that jumped out to me when I was reading this issue was the sheer number of speech bubbles that have lines around the words... This normally occurs in post-production when the editor decides to change the dialogue from what was written, for whatever reason, and oft times the letters for the new words don't match the letters of the text around it. In this issue alone, there's three such instances in the first three pages. And one speech bubble on page five looks like it was added in later, that one in the top panel. Yeah. That looks like it was pasted on what after the fact. Some of the words that got added? I mean, I don't know that they got added. Fair I just wondered whether they'd changed some of the dialogue in post-production for some reason. I, can't, I don't know why. Um, how much time did you think had passed since this child had been born? Um, um, the the story doesn't make it clear, does it? Story, yeah. yeah, but it is a clay face baby. Well, couldn't be an adult. 
I suppose so. I mean, it implies the baby's not very old at all, like you say, but on page 14 of this issue, he's strong enough to rip open the strap on a baby carrier. Mm. And he can talk in reasonably coherent sentences. Maybe Clayface is a really good at teaching English. Possibly. Although, like you say, he's baby Clayface, so it's possible his genetic makeup's just out of whack. I do love that they called baby Clayface Cassius Clay, which is comedy gold. Did you know? It's Muhammad Ali's real name. What did you think of that? Because you like Shadow the Bat normally. Better than the other books. I didn't... It was alright. Yes. But it wasn't all that good. I, th- I thought it was a nice conclusion to this particular story. Well, I don't. Well, I've read it before, but I didn't. I haven't read it this time round, so I can re- barely remember it. Wasn't it the one with the actor Clayface? Harry? Well, the mud pack. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, I, that was by Alan Grant as well. Um, he answers all of last issue's questions, ties them up quite well. There's no explanation of what happened to Baby Clayface. And I think I would have liked to have seen yeah, him again. Yeah, ba- Batman rescues him and then takes down both of his parents. Yeah, so has he gone into child custody, or what's it called? Yeah. Social services, yeah. or whatever the American equivalent of that is. Um, Batman fails again miserably here, to be honest with you. He's got a worse track record than Mulder and Scully and Sam and Dean Winchester at this point, oh. with Graham Etchinson's lifespan looking precarious as the issue closes. So you've also got the thing that he saved his life on that bus in a previous issue. Only to prolong his death. Only to prolong his death, yeah, which seems a bit daft to me. But what do I know? Uh, Detective Comics 674 came out on 29th of March 1994 and was by Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan, Scott Hanna, Adrian Roy, John Costanza, Darth Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. Uh, The cover by Kelly Jones, but today inked by John Beatty, has Batman being perforated by two gun-toting masked bad guys in green. It's okay, the red background doesn't do it any favours. And there seems to be something off about Batman's costume on that. Does he not look like he's just wearing a grey body stocking there? Yeah. Instead of his usual armour. His pose also quite funny. Yeah, he's... It looks like he's doing a dance going, I'm a monster! He's doing Roar! an interpretive dance. <laughs> fear me! Fear me! Monster! Monster! Swear at me! Swear at me! Roar! <laughs> Harry Potter! Harry Potter! <laughs> Dumbledore! Tim! Tim! Tim Drake! (laughs) Alfred! (laughs) Alfred! Alfred! Alfred Pennyworth! Oracle, Oracle, uh, Oracle, (laughs) Oracle! uh. (laughs) Oh dear! Dick Grayson! Dick Grayson! Nightwing! Damien! idea what that was dear listeners i do apologize uh, entitled outgunned to bring us back on topic the issue opens with batman laying the smack down on some random thugs engaged in a subway smash and grab how much money do you expect to get from a subway well wouldn't it all just be quarters or something since the people working in the subway steal the money off us there should be quite oh that's taxes oh. across town assassins for hire gun hawk and bunny That's a great name. Take out the mark R.R. Talmadge from over 6,000 feet away, something that astonishes Bullock when he's called in to investigate the crime. Bullock calls on the Batman and tells him about the death and hands him the bullet to see what he makes of it. Bunny and Gunhawk? You know, every time I say that, I can't take that name seriously. Would you call your daughter Bunny? I don't think it's a real name. Do you not think? No. Why would you take that as an alias? Oh, call me Bunny. Well, 
Bunny and Gunhawk have sensibly left town, but Gunhawk is positively orgasmic over the prospect of a new gun, the Vandal Arms R5000D. He convinces Bunny to postpone their vacation and return to Gotham for the exhibition, where this one-of-a-kind gun will be displayed. The Batman has figured out that the hit on Talmadge was arranged by Arnold Hockett, a business partner, afraid Talmadge had discovered too much. Hockett gives up the assassin's name, Gunhawk. A quick search of the backed computers revealed a master sniper and ex-marine, Liam Hawkley, and that Hawkley recently booked a return flight to Gotham, having just left only a few days ago. This is too big a coincidence for the Batman, and he tracks them down to the Soldier for Hire Expo, where, having gotten their hands on the Vandal R5000D, they shoot the place and the Batman up. When Bunny is hit by a stray crossfire, they leave Batman hanging from the ceiling, riddled with bullet holes. Um, page three, panel one. Page three, panel one. Just a selection of our wide variety of magazines. Oh, I loved the magazines. Bullets and Babes, where every month we see who didn't make the right sandwich and ended up bullet ridden. <laughs> and meet this month's page 66 millimeter girl, <laughs> the two gun woman. As well as Grant, a magazine that follows the dull life of Grant Peterson, who works in an office, has no friends, no love interest, and spends his free time watching soap operas with his three cats and a tub of ice cream. This week, has Grant's birthday card from his mum arrived in the post yet, and has the postal service stolen the money from him? Pick up this thrilling issue of Grant today! Where is this magazine called Grant? Um, the... There is a magazine called Grant! I have not noticed that. I noticed News Time, because that's from the Superman books. And I noticed Bullets and Babes, which I just thought was brilliant. But yes, there is a magazine called Grant and Golf Girls. Mm. Oh, dear me. Uh, page three, panel one. Yes. Apparently, Mike Manley was supposed to do the interior art for this issue, but Graham Nolan stepped in to replace him due to Manley's arrest. <laughs> is this because of the cute little headlines <laughs> that are in the issue? Yeah. Um, according to this ad, yes, in here somewhere. You sure it's in this issue? That one. Action is the first and only series to reach 700. Yeah. Now just wait till Marvel reach the Let's Take the Mickey era with Deadpool, Deadpool team up, and Deadpool. You can't get rid of me yet. Oh yeah, they didn't list us at 700 and count backwards. Yeah. And if anyone thought my anti-feminist jokes were bad, you should uh, read page 10, panel two, in which Bunny says. I've got sandwiches, Hank. Well, you know, she can handle a gun and cook sandwiches. And has a nice gun rack. <laughs> so, you would keep her around, wouldn't you? Despite the yeah. silly name. Uh, page two and three has a number of shout-outs. Michael's already mentioned quite a lot to other Batman creators. The big fight takes place on Finger Street. After Bill Finger, creator <laughs> of many of the things we think about when we talk Batman. I giggled for completely. Because well, you're just... Wrong and also 16. The newsstand on page 3 has numerous headlines and shout outs. In addition to Grant Magazine, <laughs> it has Superman Does It Again headline and a good shot of Bullets and Babes Magazine, which is not only clever foreshadowing, as this periodical is mentioned later in the story, but also has a feature on the 45 calibre bra. Interesting. You certainly make them look big, you know. Yeah, where would you keep the, the, the chambers to lock and load? <laughs> what, does she have to just hoist herself up? Ah! Ah! I mean, what do they shout out of? Is it cold? <laughs> Bullet through the head. Uh, there's a shout out that Jeanette is engaged to Dave. I don't know what that is. Maybe a reference to Jeanette Kerr. Peterson is on the rampage, presumably a reference to Scott Peterson. Hannah's late, resulting in half the industry's books being held up. 
he was quite a prolific inker at the time. Mm. Vincenzo is arrested, Nolan moves, and either the letter or the artist throws out mention of Batman artist with Manly arrested, returning Mike Manley's referencing of Graham Nolan in that book. Uh, my copy again has a colouring snafu. Is that like Cafu? No, snafu is situation normal all messed I, I up. I was taking the mix oh, right, of artist okay. names now. Uh, were you? Oh, Cafu okay. and Blonde and Bit. Oh, yes. Blonde. <laughs> Pages 3 and 14 showing that Batman dresses in pink rather than blue. He's very pretty in pink. Prima Donna. It has to be said. Uh, page 4, non-appearance of the Bat Train. <laughs> we just see some speed lines. But we don't actually see the Bat that Train. Fast. Which I was uh, quite upset about. Page 7. Now, maybe I should get your brother down for this. Mm. Because he's more of a, a gun fan than us. Uh, and I don't know a lot about bullet trajectories and momentums and such, but following the tra- trajectory of the bullet that kills R.R. Talmadge on page 7, it should have hit him in the throat or the face, not, as Bullock says on the next page, in the heart. Do you not think? Well, given if you follow the top from the three-panel sequence where he's shot, depicting the woman's pearls being snapped on panel 1, the wine, the champagne glass is shattering in panel 2, and finally Mr. Talmadge's death in panel 3 is exceptionally pardon the pun, executed. But if you have a look, if you follow the, the line of trajectory, yeah. that has either blew the bottom half of his jaw off or gone through his neck, depending on whether he, he lifted his, his head up to take a drink as well, the bullet hit him. The bullet, he would have, Gunhawk would have had to have been aiming higher than where he wanted to shoot anyway because the bullet would have gone down. So you're saying that it's possibly come in at an angle. Yeah. A slight angle on that picture. Not only that... So it's it's coming downwards as it's done her necklace and then done the champagne yeah. glasses. Not only that, but you've had to have me- measured out the wind because if it's that the big... How far was the distance? 6,000 feet according to... Um, then the wind's going to change its direction. Right. And to even get it kind of that far in a straight enough line it must have been a pretty damn powerful gun well th- that's do th- you look at the size of it My, that's big a big bunny. one to quote Andy Robinson in Dirty Harry I don't know why Bunny's staying with him well very possibly yes as we'll find out in the next issue where he goes on about that quite a bit <laughs> uh, page 10 if we move along quite swiftly um, Bunny and Hawk's cabin is really nice albeit it's been decorated by Craven the Hunter <laughs> But, you know, the assassin game must pay really well, mustn't it? I'd live there. Mm. That looks like something out of grand designs. Police do lie to you. Crime does pay. Yeah. Well, it does. People do lie to you. Another colouring error on page 11. Uh, page 13, I love the Batman's dialogue about not needing proof, not needing a badge, and not needing to respect his rights. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I really do like Jean-Paul. Yeah. Sometimes I can really get behind him. <laughs> I don't need proof. I don't need a badge. I don't need to respect your rights. Talk. Swear to me. Let's face it, if Bruce Wayne had got the evidence in by now, Joker would have had the electric chair long ago. Well, that's true. I also like that the girl's name is Sincere. The girl who runs away from the guy that he interrogates here. Um, C-Y-N-C-E-R-E. I can see somebody from Towie being called that. (laughs) Can you? Yes. To the only way is Essex. You don't know what that is. No. I'm so proud of you. What is it? Some reality thing. Alright. Oh, uh, some more creator nods on page 16, with panel 2 showing the O'Neill has been busted, Denny, presumably. And given the prominence on the page, I presume that the two guys at the bottom of page 16 are creators on the book. Yeah. Those two, because they look too photorealistic 
in the artwork. One of them is probably Chuck Dixon. I don't know who the other one is. Um, given that all comic book creators are a bit heavy set and have beards, though, I can't really narrow it down, <laughs> to be honest. For some reason, I found the poster Come See Our Line of Tanks really funny. Mm. Russians walking in. Oh, we have this tank back at home. Oh, we have tanks here. Maybe you could sell it to the Chinese. Okay. Okay. Uh, I really like the final fight scene on page 17 through 22. It's really good fun with Batman taking a pounding from the Vandal Arms R5000D. It's a shame that the next issue is Batman rather than the detective comics because that kind of takes the sting out of the cliffhanger a mm. bit. Um, the, the episode ends with Batman hanging limp from the ceiling, riddled with bullet holes. And you kind of, the implication is though that he's dead, but then there's like three issues of another book yeah. before you get to Detective Comics again that, you know. I like this one. I always like it's no surprise that I like this one. Chuck Dixon wrote it. Once again, Dixon is economical with the storytelling, creating a fast-paced action issue that has good rules for Bullock and Jean-Paul. It's actually quite likeable in this one, isn't he? Mm. I quite liked him, apart from the whole skipping the mugging thing. Yeah. Uh, which was in the other issue, but whatever. Uh, the new bad guys, Gunhawk and Bunny, are interesting without being too deep. Let's be honest. Deep and edgy. Yeah. 3D. Yeah, but they're fun in their own way. Uh, this rattles along nicely. The art's really good as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. I like the art. Did you like that one? I did, yes. You're digging on the detective comments. It must have been good if I liked it. Yes, it it must have been good if you liked it. Uh, The adverts in these past couple of issues have been pretty good. Doomsday's holding Superman's ripped cape. Again. Plugging the Superman Doomsday Minute. That's a great piece of art, that. Mm. I really like that. Dan Jurgens, who you don't like because he's yesterday's artist, according to you. Did you? There's a photo. No problem with him being yesterday's artist in yesterday's comics. It's just I get bored when I see him on Justice League International Green Arrow. See, it's hard to slap you about the first because I felt like that about people like Gene Colan and Don Heck and Jack Kirby when I started reading comics. But I grew up and matured and (laughs) recognised that Gene Colan and Jack Kirby are masters of the form. Not so much Don Heck. to be honest with you. But I'm sure that Dominic Heck has his followers, just I wasn't one of them. Um, there's a, a photo advert for the Ray, which I don't think I ever read. I, I thought we were having good Jared Leto-inspired Ray movies. <laughs> that, does that look like Jared Leto? Just a bit. I'll take your word for it. Back you can up. vote in the CBG 1993 Fan Awards. Oh, you can if you've got a TARDIS. And this year's annual event is Elseworld. Again, ETM's hot comics adverts are the best things, are the best adverts in the book. <laughs> the Punisher met Batman in Lake of Fire. Was that a Nirvana song? Or was Nirvana covered in all... Here folks going there, da, 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 go where the angels cry. Go to a lake of fire and fry. See you again on the 4th of July. But that was a cover, wasn't it? It was on Unplugged, but nowhere else. So it's a cover. Was it a yeah. Vaseline's song or Mud Honey or something like that? I don't know. So he introduces it anyway. Go and listen to the version. It's not as good as ours, but what can you do? Um, yeah, that was is great. Yeah, that's, that was sarcasm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I've never read that. It's a Marvel DC crossover. It looks like one of the more compatible team ups, especially as it's Jean Paul that he's meeting, not Bruce. Perhaps not as compatible. The Punisher meets Archie. Oh yeah. No, really, I'm not making that up. Uh, I haven't read that either, so I can't comment on the quality. Punisher but both Eminem. are hot picks. Yeah. Why would he meet Eminem? No, he has done. Has he? Yeah. Oh. Eminem made a comic where he met the Punisher. 
Excellent. Because Eminem's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> and did the Punisher not shoot him for just constantly whining about his ex-wife? We get it, Marshall! Marshall. Marshall Mathers. That's his name. Do you know that? That's M and M. Marshall Mathers. M and M. Alright. Oh, dear God. Uh, Alice Cooper, number one, is also a hot pick by Neil Gaiman. Is it? Of all people. Well, yes. didn't Dave McKean do some cover stuff for Alice Cooper? Did he? Yeah. Well, there wasn't Alice Comic a, Alice Comic a Cooper covers. <laughs> Alice, Alice Comic a Cooper comics in the 70s. <laughs> uh, Blade number one, a few years before the movie, would make him a hot character. And Blaze number one, in which the original Ghost Rider gets his own series. Both of these have foil covers, so you can roast your turkey on them if you wish. <laughs> Spawn's hideous arch enemy, The Violator, gets a hot series from Alan Moore. So, Alan Integrity Moore, who basically shuns DC whenever they use his work, his work on licensed characters, did an Image Spawn miniseries. I hope he got a nice big fat royalty check for that. Uh, Valiant have a not-at-all-gratuitous 17-part crossover called Chaos Effect. Chaos was big in the 90s. You remember Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. Was it spelled with a K? Not in this case, no. It was actually spelled correctly. Wow, um, it was ahead of its time. Yes, definitely. Which we are reliably informed will be red hot. Not just hot. <laughs> red hot. Can't touch it with your bare hands. You can't touch this. <laughs> Crabs in my pants. <laughs> can't touch this. Um, Spider-Man is also hot because there's a new animated series coming in the autumn. Ooh, all five series of that was in HMV today for about 40 quid. Okay. I was so tempted to buy it for me, but I didn't yeah, have any money. I don't, I don't care about you lot. <laughs> I want the 90s Spider-Man series on DVD. I'm, I, I, I'm, I prefer the Neil Get Patrick a job. Stuff. Get me that for my for Christmas. For my for Christmas. For my Christmas present. Go on. For your Christmas present. Shoot, go and get a job. Get me that Christmas present. I bought you a birthday present one time. That's good enough. <laughs> you bought me Superman on DVD. Yeah. The George Reeves TV series. Yeah. Season 3 and 4. I spent my birthday money on it. Yeah, that. it was only 6 quid on Amazon. I appreciated that immensely. It was 10 quid, actually. Was it? Yeah. Mm, I appreciate it just as much. <laughs> um, only just as much. Only just as much, yeah. Web of Doom and the Arachnus Project, along with Black Cat's own series and a Venom trade of the picks. Uh, never read any of them. Best of all, just in case you didn't think the X-Boots were gratuitous enough, witness the Marvel Swimsuit Special. 1994. <laughs> Never seen it. Guest artist Jim Lee and Ed Beans. You reckon? But I would be disappointed if we didn't get a gratuitous butt shot of some ex-lady rogue or storm emerging from the sea. What do you think? I dig off st- a rogue. Even. I, I, yeah, well, see, rogue wearing a bikini just... If you touch her, don't you die? <laughs> so she's got all of her flesh on display. No, it, it's what she does to sexually... Uh, co- sexually... Confuse uh, people. No, not confused. No, okay. Frustrated, that's the oh, right, yeah. that's Look at what you can't have. Yeah, mm. she looked she sexually, um, I forgot the word again. Confused. Frustrated. Frustrated. Guys. Yeah. Oh, I need to touch that. Ah! And now I am dead. The second oh, best ad is what? <laughs> the second best ad is one for Comic Cavalcade in Illinois, which has a number of signed books, which are all actually pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Except Profit, number four. Uh, there are signed copies Profit. of... I've no idea. There are signed copies of Action 700, Robin 1, Batman 500, Superman 75, Bar- Spawn, Born Batman, Spawn Batman 1 and others. Biggest surprise in this is how much Crisis on Infinite Earth is selling for. The, the issue 1 through 7 are $12 a piece. Issue 8 is $20. I've found them for two fifty. Yeah, well, and, uh, we found them in the 50p bins at one of the Manchester comic shows not long ago. Oh, yeah. There was quite a lot in the comic. You came and told me. Did 
Did I? Yeah, you said Crisis and Infinite. That's in the 50 Oh, yeah, I found issue bins. one for really said, cheap. But I've got the absolute. You said, but you could have the original issues. And I was like, but I've got the absolute. I was quite tempted to actually buy Just issue one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crisis on Infinite Earth is really good. Well, see, maybe they've not held the value because Dan DiDio's just wiped them all yeah. off the face of the earth. And Secret Wars isn't in the 50p bins. No. Even though Secret Wars isn't isn't fit to mop the floor before <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Earths. No, it, it, Crisis is a Marvel fun comic that I liked. Yeah, and much better than Secret Wars. Uh, right, we'll be back after a short plug for somebody else's podcast. Maybe even mine. I don't know. I decided. <laughs> plug your own podcast. Yeah, so I may plug the Fantastic Four when I'm doing with Steve Lyser. Which you're like, you traitorous pig! Mm. Aren't you? Uh, we'll be back in a minute. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happening to you. You're... Oh, Reed, not you too! What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly! We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power! I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth, and now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. Got me dying the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the Phantom is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hope. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. But it shall stay until it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak the lashes. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Forecast ffcast.libsyn.com And we're back. With a mouthful of biscuit. Mm. Excellent, I'm very impressed. Uh, Batman 508 came out on the 12th of April 1994 and once again sports a Kelly Jones cover of a mad long-haired Phantom of the Opera type figure holding onto a metal chain whilst reaching into what looks like a vat of molten lava. Batman just watches. It's quite a striking image. It's well coloured and I presume this is again supposed to be abattoir but it ends up looking like his stunt double. This story called Mortal Remains was by Doug Munch, Mike Manley, Joseph Rubenstein, Adrian Roy, Ken Brusenak, Jordan B. Garfunkel and Denny O'Neill. I said Garfunkel though, didn't I? Like he's the man from Garfunkel. <laughs> yeah. Abattoir on the cover looks like one arm. This blue arm he's holding up. The arm he's holding on to. It's a Kelly Jones cover. Anatomy. People like this now. 
Anyway, we're informed on page one of this issue that Abattoir and Gunhawk are still at large in Grey Matches and is still missing. Because Gunhawk is a plot for another book, however, Batman thinks that they can wait and decides to joyride the Batmobile through Gotham, trashing alleyways and nearly mowing down pedestrians. Starsky and Hutch are halfway across town doing the same. Yes! <laughs> I don't think they ever ran over a pedestrian. Starsky shot a pedestrian once. By accident. On accident, as your sister used to say. Uh, Abattoir continues to torture Graham Etchison with his elaborate torture techniques, whilst Robin sneaks into the cave to access the large main computer system and hack into the municipal tax records to find a list of holdings registered to Henry Etchison from Shadow of the Bat, remember? And he reaches the conclusion that Abattoir will be hidden out in the one without security. Whilst he's in the tax record system, he decides to remove all records of his dad's tax bills. Batman has reached the same conclusion, and he's already there. He locates Abattoir and pounds on him with the implausibly spiky gloves of death, but manages to escape into a nearby foundry. The Batman follows as Robin arrives and both realise the foundry is operational. Batman stops Abattoir from attacking a random dude, and the two of them duke it out on a landing above a smelting pot, like Obi-Wan and Anakin before them. Oh. After them. them, yeah. Damn you, George Lucas, and your inability to count. Batman has the high ground. Anakin, I have the high ground! And Abattoir falls towards the hot liquid. He begs for help, but Jean-Paul would rather have a conversation with the people in his head. Jean-Paul's father wants the Batman to kill Abattoir. After all, he'll only kill again. Stop him decisively. However, St. Dumas says save him. Salvation, not damnation. The Batman is confused and wants no part of this, saying they must decide his fate, just as Abattoir falls to his death. Robin, witnessing this, believes Batman let Abattoir die. Driven mad by the system, Batman forgets all about Graham Etchison, who falls foul of Abattoir's death trap and is crushed to death. Yeah, I really liked the ending to this did you, did you like? Did you like the ambiguous nature of this issue? I, I did, yeah. Mm, very good. And Batman, healed up pretty well after that last issue. Well... That's what I mean, the only trouble with Detective 674 was the cliffhanger made it look like he was in real dire straits. And then the next issue, chronologically apparently, is Batman Five away and he's perfectly fine. Well, wasn't there a TV show or a comic series or something where in one issue they're left for dead and the next issue they're fine and we don't know why? Yeah, well, there was so loads of them old serials in the 30s and 40s where they did that all the yeah. time. Um, page two, panel one. <laughs> I'd hate to be a trash can in Gotham tonight. <laughs> we have crime here too, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> um, in page 13, panel 3. Yes. If Batman added a few more verbs and a couple of vowels in that sentence, he, he'd have a full sentence. What? No more bus, abattoir. No more kids. No more escape. Swear to me! I did like that his costume's still all shot up. From his encounter well, with Gunhawk. He has a bullet hole here. Well, he has, a, he has a couple of bullet holes here and there. Yeah, I thought it was a nice piece of costume. His costume heals up as well after yeah. the last issue. Maybe like Venom and his, yeah. his costume just heals itself. Um, I thought this was a nice wrap-up to the Abattoir arc. With lots to chew on for the reader. One of Doug Menchie's better jobs. First of all... It was better than the rest of the Abattoir stuff. Yes, it was. Let's address the Batman Let Abattoir Die issue. Batman didn't prevent... Abattoir from dying, but he didn't let him. From a certain point of view, <laughs> as Obi Wan Kenobi again, he didn't actually kill him, yeah. which is an important distinction. What I think would hold up in a court of law, Jean Paul, <laughs> it would. A good lawyer could get him off with that. 
Jean Paul is clearly incapacitated by the voices in his head at this point and turns his back on both Saint Dumas and his dad, leaving Abattoir's fate up to them. So again, from a certain point of view, an argument can be made for manslaughter rather than murder. But would insanity get you off the hook for a certain degree? Yes, you'd be declared insane and therefore not responsible for your own actions. Ships over to Arkham. Yeah. Or our equivalent of Arkham. We're in the DC verse here. Liverpool. Uh, also, Robin doesn't see. I'm joking. Uh, Robin is the only witness to this and doesn't see clearly what happens. So he's an unreliable witness. Hmm. Batman is clearly not upset by Abattoir's death and has been thinking about it himself for a number of issues now. But he doesn't actually do the deed himself. No. No, I think a Trixie lawyer could get him off with that. Okay. I really do. Um, of course, he's, he is culpable in the death of Graham Etchison. If he hadn't been floundering around talking to dead people, he may have found Graham and saved him. But so could Robin. If we assume Robin knew about Etchison, and why wouldn't he? Because surely it's yeah. been in all the newspapers. Whichever way you look at this, Abattoir dying is the catalyst for the final act of Night's Quest. And I think these past couple of issues have been handled quite well by Doug Mench. They should have skipped the two issues with the three dumbasses yeah. and just had this as a two-part story. Yeah. Because that, it, that would have been much better. Uh, in the novel, this is pretty much the same story, albeit heavily truncated, but the denouement is the same. This abattoir arc redeemed Mench as a writer for me after the dismal last couple of issues. I know some of it was treading water, but Dixon and Grant and the other two bat books told some good stories whilst treading water. To give Mench benefit of the doubt, both Chuck Dixon and Alan Grant concentrated on characters other than Batman, whereas in the book entitled Batman, presumably readers want to see, well, Unfortunately, either by accident or design, Jean-Paul isn't a very interesting character. I do wonder if all those filmmakers who think Batman's dull and his villains are interesting never had any decent Batman stories. And this left Munch floundering a bit. He came good here, though. Yeah. That was good, that one. It was good. Uh, the art's fine. Uh, the only quibble being Robin looks about 22 on page 11. Yeah, I thought he doesn't look like old. a teenager, does he? There's a shot on um, he panel Dick 3. places for a bit. Possibly. He does, he, he looks just like... Just for a little duh. Just, yeah, to see if anyone would notice. <laughs> see how much Bruce really cares for them. Let's see if he notices if we swap places. Oh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> the letters page has a note from Jordan B. Man from Garfinkel, uh, that Mike Manley's rendition of Gordon is excellent, which was nice to see, because I said exactly the same thing yeah. a couple of issues ago. Um, the audio player reduces this to but a few scant minutes. But it still gets the point across. Uh, Night's Quest the Crusade gets about five minutes of her time in the audio play. All of the search gets a fair bit more. There's a grey ad for Action Comics 700 on the inside front cover that looks painted, doesn't it? It looks like both, because the front bit... Well, Was it pencilled and painted? The building and the street all look like pencils and colours, but the rest look painted. But the characters look painted, don't they? Um, Superman stops the Daily Planet globe from crushing Jimmy and Lois. It's laid out like an old 70s movie poster as well, with uh, the faces of the people all across the bottom, like they used to do on stuff like the Poseidon Adventure and Tower and Inferno and things like that. Um, Proof positive, once again, the Superman books were ahead of their time. Mm. Nowadays, all comics want to be TV shows or movies. Bibbo. I like Bibbo. Bibbo was cool. I found him. Uh, the inside back cover is a shot of Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher plugging Lois and Clark The New Adventures of Superman. Just called The New Adventures of Superman over here because we British people are too stupid to know who Lois and Clark are that it's a takeoff of Lewis and Clark the Explorers. 
Way to okay. dumb down, BBC. Is, is that why Smallville is also the early... Smallville, Superman. Superman, the early yeah. year. God, yeah. Because we're obviously too dumb to know what Smallville is. Terry Archer was pretty, though. You don't think? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be non-committal, all right? I have to be careful with what I say about women nowadays. All right, do you? You're allowed to say Terry Hatcher was pretty. Okay, then. <laughs> Go on, say it. Say Terry Hatcher was pretty. No. All right, fair enough. Uh, there's a nice moody Mike Mignola <laughs> ad for Man of Steel Annual 5 as well the in Elseworld this issue. Stuff. Yeah, the Elseworld. I don't think I've ever read any of that, to be honest with you. Kingdom this Com- was around the time I was dipping out Red of Zone. comics in a lot of cases. I mean, my major dip out would come around late 95, early 96. Where you moved into your Vertigo phase. And that, and also you arrived. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Which kind of crimped my um, <laughs> my disposable income for yeah. a short while. Um, Mignola's out doesn't suit Superman. No, but... Um, I don't think. It, it raises a question for Elseworlds. In now, what way? Elseworlds, did it start off as a crossover, an annual crossover like Children's Crusade and Bloodlines and such? No. Did it it was retroactive. They did a story called Gotham by Gaslight, which was Batman in the 1800s in England, I want to say. But I've not read that for a while. There's one where he fights um, Jack the Ripper as well. Yeah, I think that's Gotham by Gaslight. And um, that was published and it was just a standalone issue and nothing else was thought of it. And then Mark Wade came up with the idea of the DC version of What If Stories being called Elseworlds. And retroactively, Gotham by Gaslight was called an Elseworld story, even though on the original first print of that, which I've got, yeah. there's no mention of Elseworld. Right, but all the Elseworld adverts in these issues mm-hmm. are all for annuals. Yes, that was this year's DC theme for the annuals. Right. There wasn't a big crossover like Bloodlines. So after that, it then turned into just an imprint like Wildstorm. No, just one-offs. So, like, well, if what if Bruce Wayne was raised by the Kents... And what if... Was in Elseworld. And what if Superman's rocket landed in Russia? Yeah, and um, Kingdom Come was is in Elseworld. Yeah. yeah. So right. so it's not an, a separate imprint or anything. It's just the version of what if, right. basically. What they used to call imaginary stories in the 50s and 60s. Okay. Where they showed Superman dying and Supergirl taking his place and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, Robin Six thoroughly succeeded in pissing me off. <laughs> it's not that hard to be honest not sometimes. particularly, no. This was part two of a three-part story called Benedictions. Now, I know what you're thinking. And you're and right. And you're right. But Andrew, you're thinking. There was no Benedictions Part 1 in the last issue of Robin. You are most correct. Part 1 of this story was in Showcase 5. A fact not mentioned in this story, or even on the letters page, anywhere. A book I don't read, having been burned on that crappy two-faced two-parter that was an essential part of Nightfall and was numbered as such, even though the not-numbered Nightfall story from Shadow of the Bat was was much better. better. Well, I won't get fooled again, as The Who once said. I get that Showcase needed a Batman story in it to sell. I get that comics are a business. But when you're reading this stuff years later, it's just... Bloody irritating. So I didn't buy these issues in 94, and I can't be asked downloading them even illegally now. Chuck Dixon didn't even seem asked, as he includes no Robin subplots in this material, proving you can skip this, and it doesn't matter one jot. Well, you, you do know the story's been advertised a fair bit in... And I don't care! I shouldn't have to read Showcase blah 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 blah, blah <laughs> to follow Robin. Cack! Um, I'm sorry if you want to hear about Robin 6 I'm sorry but it's not happening nice cover though it had nice art in it a bit 
Well, the Phil Jimenez stuff. Yeah. He doesn't draw Robin as well as Tom Grummet. I like Phil Jimenez. I like Phil he's, Jimenez. He's grown as an artist more over time. Yeah, he's not just the George Perez knockoff that he was at this point. I prefer him to Perez. That being said, that's like saying you prefer a photocopy of the Mona Lisa to the original. It costs less. <laughs> Cheap postcard from Blackpool Prom is better than the original. Yeah. Oh, um, as long. Why do I but, even but bother anyway? Having said that, before more people send hate mail, because let's face it, the Flash wasn't all that good. <laughs> <laughs> wrong! Often having, wrong! Having read the new Teen Titans games graphic novel, pick it up in a local comic shop near you, um, you're such a shill. George Perez's arc, artwork has grown on me in the modern era rather than the big George Press heyday. Teen Titans games is is fantastic. Mm. I enjoyed that. I, I've, re- I've been reading it slowly but it's alright so far. It's good. Mm. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Highly recommended. Um, Shadow of the Bat 28 which is nothing to do with the Teen Titans or George Perez but came out on the 19th of April 1994 has, has <laughs> and I'm not kidding this time an excellent Brian Stelfreeze cover of Commissioner Gordon smashing the Bat signal. Very similar to the end of The Dark Knight. Did he smash it? Doesn't he smash the bat signal at the end of The Dark Knight? I can't remember Dark Knight. I watched on Blu-ray not long ago. Well, I, I watched them both not long ago and I thought both films weren't as good as everyone made them out to be. Um, they're not as good as everyone says they are. Unless, of course, you're Scott Gardner, who hates The Dark Knight with a fiery passion. Um, <laughs> I, I, I also don't like anyone who says um, Heath Ledger's the Joker. It's like, no, Mark Hamill is. Yeah, that's fur comment. But I, I, I don't mind them. They are. Batman Begins and The Dark Knight are the product of people who think that Batman begins, see what I did there, with Frank Miller. Yeah. And you're seeing the product of the Frank Millerization of Batman. Yeah. In Batman Begins and The, the Dark Knight. The, and so from that level, I don't mind The them. two films are the Arkham City and Arkham Sound for the movies, though. Just yeah. as good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can watch them and enjoy them. They're enjoyable, yeah. Um, Just Christian not... Bale's voice gets on my tits a bit. <laughs> Swear to me! Well, ba- Batman always sounded like a Mexican no, wrestler in ba- the movies. Batman sounds like Kevin Conroy. He does to me, yeah, but in all the movies, doesn't he sound like a Mexican wrestler? Not when he's George Clooney, he, <laughs> he just sounds like Dr. Doug Ross. <laughs> Anyway, to mind a tangent there to discuss Batman movies, uh, it's an awesome cover. Well, I'm not too fond of it. Why the hell not? It, it Commissioner Gordon looks... Well, that bat... Oh, yeah, the bat signal. I keep forgetting my words. That, the bat signal must be very weak if all these... Because from how he stood, he just looks like he's knocking on it. Knock, knock, knocking on bat signal's door. Whereas in Blackest Night, Hal Jordan got thrown across Gotham, landed on it, and it smashed. That's not exactly tapping on it. Well, no, but artistic license, then dude. Then why doesn't it show him going, Rawr, smash? Uh, because that's a good cover. I don't care what you say. <laughs> you the never story, do. I don't know, that's very true. Uh, the story's called Commissioner Gordon, The Long Dark Knight, and is by Grant Blevin, Smith, Roy, and Klein. A two bit drug gang, the Rat Gang, decides to run a protection racket on Isn't the most salubrious Gotham's restaurant, whilst Gordon and the GCPD try to da- track down Graham Etchison. 
obviously unaware that he's dead. Kitch, Bullock and Montoya have recovered Abattoir's body and have also learned about Batman's culpability in his murder. Gordon is concerned. He makes hunting Graham Etchison a top priority, something Bullock thinks is a waste of time as he's probably already dead, and ponders what to do. The Batman, meanwhile, feels nothing about the death of Abattoir. Not remorse or guilt. Nothing. Instead, he's drunk on the power that killing a man gives. He feels neither good nor bad, but righteous. The GCPD are checking out all of Etchison's holdings and finally end up at Sprang Mining Equipment where they find Etchison's dead body. They inform Gordon, who storms off to light the bat signal. The Batman arrives and Gordon is taking no crap. He demands to know who Batman is. He knows Batman. Batman is his friend. And you are no Batman. The Batman wouldn't have killed Abattoir, nor would he have let Graham Etchison die. Batman retorts that one man died versus the many that have already died at Abattoir's hands, and the many others that would have died had he left him alone. This Batman follows no rules and will continue his crusade by any means necessary. Gordon is appalled that this may mean Batman will kill again and pulls his gun on it. It's an empty threat, as Batman knows he won't shoot. Gordon does, however, swing at Batman, a punch that throws him off balance and almost over the edge of the building. The Batman saves him, saying that if he was a murderer, he'd have let him fall, but he needs to be allowed to continue his way. Batman leaves, saying not to use the signal again unless it's important. Gordon responds by smashing it. Batman sees the Rat Gang smashing up the restaurant front and takes out all his pent-up anger on them. With his anger sated, he returns to the cave to make the ultimate Batman. In his office, Gordon listens to the reports of all the damage this Batman has inflicted and wonders why he feels so betrayed. What did you think of this one, Michael, being an issue of Shadow of the Bat? thought it would have, it was an unnecessary after, um... Thought? No, um, what's it called? The prologue for at the end. Epilogue. Epilogue, yes. I keep forgetting my words. I'm crap. Yes. Uh, anyway. I've been it, saying that for it, weeks. It, it, it feels like an unnecessary <laughs> epilogue to have in Shadow of the Bat. If it was in Batman or Detective, it, it would have been better suited. See, I don't think it really matters where this takes place. I think this this is it's been building up to this. Gordon finally it's, confronting it, him. Yeah, that's good. Especially after all the time that he's me and you have both said Gordon's in denial. Hmm. He knows this isn't Batman, but he wants it to be Batman. And therefore he's not allowed himself to face up to the fact. And this is the final confrontation of that. To be honest with you, the rat pack stuff is unnecessary. And he's only there to give Batman something to beat on. It's the Gordon stuff that's the meat of this story. Well, if this entire issue was just Gordon... And Batman. Yeah. Hmm. Instead of it being acting as an epilogue to the Abattoir stuff, and having that in Batman or Detective. Do you think? Because it's finding out what happened to Gray and Etchison that finally makes Gordon realise that this isn't Batman. Batman would well, not have let that happen. Well, then in that case, it should all be in a main story instead of Shadow of the Bat, which essentially should stand alone. Yeah, but at this point, it isn't doing. Um, you can argue that this is too important a storyline to only be running in Batman or Detective Comics. Besides, Alan Grant's stuff's better. I think he handled this better than Doug Mensch would have done. So, get him on the creative team for Detective or Batman, where it, the story would actually count. But it does count in here. It does count in here, but if you weren't... Right. When did we switch places? Okay. When did you become the one saying, this should all be in one book? But it should, though, okay. because Shadow of the Bat's meant to stand on its own instead of having a big, essential, important piece to be in it. So, so your your on. argument is that throughout this entire run, yeah. Shadow of the Bat has essentially told little standalone stories, albeit with Jean-Paul in them, yeah. the ones that weren't about Bruce Wayne, which yeah. we'll cover next week. 
And this is actually quite a pivotal part of the story. Gordon mm-hmm. finally going, you're no Batman. I know Batman, sir, and you're not him. Yeah. And your argument is then that this is an important part of the overall story arc and should not have been in Shadow of the Bat. Yes. Should have been in Batman or Detective Comics. Yes. Fair enough. What are you going to think when we get to the end of all of this and it's in Legends of the Dark Knight? That annoyed other people, didn't it? Did it? Yeah, you used to yes, it did. Yes, a lot of people. Yes, you're right. I mean, I haven't read them yet. Legends and not the others and the people that were reading Legends. Yeah, because I, Legends of the Dark Knight was designed to stand alone from Batman continuity, whereas Shadow of the Bat did occasionally cross yeah. over. I've not read them yet simply because I still don't have Legends of the Dark Knight 60! Can't find it anywhere. But people have uh, got I've, it. P- Pixie Furry. I've got it as internet a, furry. I've, The Internet Furry has brought it to me, but right. I want the issue. Yeah, okay. Uh, and people did complain that Legends of the Dark Knight was suddenly part of this big crossover. So, alright, fair enough. Yeah. I can I can accept your argument. Page 12, panel 5. Yes. Really didn't make me laugh. Why? Well, well Commissioner Gordon shouting at him, telling them all this <laughs> stuff about him, him causing etched and pain and killing Abattoir and all that, and after a couple of blank panels, Gene Paul just says, what's your point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> and it's funny, yeah. yeah. And I don't see why Gene Paul hasn't himself personally killed anyone yet. If he it was the 90s Batman that the readers thought they wanted, why hasn't he killed anyone to make them think they don't want him? Because prior to this point, he's been at war with himself as to whether or not he should follow the path of St. Damas or follow the path of the system. And he's also, in his own way been honouring that the Batman doesn't kill yeah. and now he's got to the point where he's like screw that Wait, so why wasn't he written like screw that earlier if that because then the you've not got a story arc well, you've just got him being a killer from day one if he's a killer from day one Superman would have brought him down months ago yeah but it, maybe if they had the kill it kill murderer from day three yeah, all right, fair enough. If you well, in this stuff a little earlier... Yeah, but they had to make it last a certain amount of time. That's the yeah. problem. Well, my thing with Knight's Quest is... I, I can't decide whether it seems like a part of a big story or whether it seems like Batman, only Gene Paul's Batman now. Well, when we do our last episode uh, in a couple of weeks, we are going to do a what did you think of it overall, which was your favourite bit, which was the worst bit, and you yeah. can have a ponder about the whole thing then. Um, but uh, it's not... It's not an invalid point, really, that a pivotal scene like the Commissioner Gordon Batman confrontation should have taken place in Batman or Detective Comics. Um, I'm glad Alan Grant got to do it, to be honest with you. Yeah. To, to be fair. Uh, page two, I do want to know how the GCPD learned that Batman was involved in Abattoir's death. I mean, there were workers around, yeah. but the only eyewitness was Robin. And he's not presumably told him. No. I mean, I presume it's possible some of the workers were out of sight watching and told the police what they saw, mm. but we didn't actually see them. As far as we were concerned, the room had been evacuated. Um, there's not really many notes about this one specifically. For the most part, this is wrapping up the story heads of the last three issues with the GCPD finding Etchen's body and concluding the abattoir arc. The rap gang storyline goes nowhere. However, the meat of this issue... We've already, as we've discussed, is the Gordon-Batman confrontation. And Jean-Paul's internal monologue when he starts believing his own press. The page, fi- the five-page confrontation between the two of them on pages 11 through 15. I, I thought it was really good, to be honest with you. I thought it really crackled as the two finally had it out. The thing is, 
as with all the best stories where two opposing viewpoints are on display, we the reader can actually see both points of view. Yeah. This isn't like that Catwoman arc where yeah. the writer had an agenda and by golly she was going to <laughs> make you see her agenda and that was it. Gordon's right. Through his inaction, Batman allowed a man to die. Granted, that contradicts what I said earlier about, you yeah. know, he didn't actually cause it, but a good lawyer could get him off with that. But he's, he's right, he did. Through not doing anything, Abattoir died. But was that the right thing? Well, see, and Batman's right in that Abattoir would have killed again, and did, albeit from the grave, mm. but he still took another victim with him. Yeah. But that death is more on Batman's head, I think, than Abattoir's. Because he knew he had Graham Etchison and then did nothing to find him. Did he know where he... Well, he wouldn't know where he was. Doesn't matter. Way of finding him, though. Doesn't matter. So, he, even if he ran around trying to find yes. him, it still would have been his Whereas fault. in this, he didn't even try to find him. Yeah. But, as I pointed out, neither did Robin. Yeah. So, uh, at or least the police. the police... No, the police do try to find him. Yeah. That's the whole point of this issue. Yeah. Gordon says, find him. That's and they do a better job than Batman and Robin, evidently. Um, the next few pages, ostensibly about Batman breaking a few heads, are driven by John Paul's internal monologue about how he saved this city numerous times. And my favourite line, Gordon should be kissing his feet. That's an egomanic yeah. at this point. Um, he's thoroughly embracing the system here. John Paul returns to the cave to create the ultimate Batman. Which either means Bendis will be writing a six-issue arc in which Jean-Paul talks to St. Dumas in the cave, or we're in for another costume change. Maybe we should just rename him Mariah Curry Batman. So yeah, this after his confrontation, it's his confrontation with the garden as well, pushes him just as much over the edge. Yeah. Because after that, he starts believing his own hype. Yeah. He's like, I did the right thing, he deserves to die. And the minute you start thinking he deserves to die, you've crossed a line. Allegedly. Yeah. You know, there are some people I'd happily kill. <laughs> Finally, and briefly, because it's not a main bat book, Justice League Task Force 6 came out on the September 28th, 93, and it's just called Night's Quest. The Search, Denny Neal wrote it, Salvaluto penciled, and Jeff Albrecht inked. Did you read this one? Um, I don't have it. No, oh, fair enough. The story commences where the last issue left off. The Bronze Tiger and Gypsy look at the decimated remains of the hotel Bruce Wayne and Alfred were residing in, knowing there's no way they could have survived the explosion. They don't seem at all concerned about any others that may have been in the building at the time, but hey, they're not germane to the stories. Who cares about faceless red shirts? Of course, Bruce isn't stupid, and knowing that one attempt on his life has been made already, suspected that others may follow, and moved he and Alfred into a tent. Bruce applies makeup to his face to disguise himself as Bruce Wayne. And I understand you're furrowing your brow, though. Uh, a clever ruse to make the Justice League Task Force think that he isn't, in fact, Bruce Wayne. Clever, eh? Yeah. Double, bit of double bluffery. Bronze Tiger and Gypsy learn of Bruce's cunning and tell him they have located Chandra and Jack Drake. They launch an attack on the location, a noted drug hideaway, and with Green Arrow's help bring the drug-dealing scum to an end. Chandra and Jack, however, have been absconded by the mysterious Benedict Asp. Um, not really a lot to say about this. It is, as one would expect from Denny O'Neill, an entertaining enough romp. But I can't help feel that putting the story in a new boot like this one was more of a sales booster from the new title and a real need to have Bruce meet the Justice League task force. Especially he doesn't really show much screen time with him. Hmm. 
it's not that interesting, to be honest. Okay, I've not read any of them. Yeah, it's alright. Um, next time, it's the beginning of the end for Jean-Paul in Detective Comics 675, and we continue to follow Bruce to London, which I'm really looking forward to, to see how many cliches we can spot <laughs> in Shadow of the Bat 21 through 23. But that's for next week. We hope you enjoyed this week. We ran a bit long this week. Mm. Say goodnight, Michael. Goodnight, Michael. Bye, everybody. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, which you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. (laughs) 